Welcome back, everyone. To On today's episode of Mind Matters, we're going to be discussing horror, terror, scary. everything scary, because it's Halloween. It's that time of year, so we've got to do it. There's no other there's choice. Nothing. Yeah, there's no other choice. The show just sort of uh, presented itself to us. We had, we had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just fate. And um, it's that time of year, so, well, why is stuff scary? Like, what makes, why do we get scared at, or why do we go to horror movies, for instance? It's like, what's the attraction there? What, uh, right. why do we like monsters? Yeah, like, what is it about horror that, you know, that's not just like some biochemical thing, but there's definitely aspects to horror that you're, that keep popping up you know, bad decisions, really bad decisions that people make that lead to absolute catastrophe. You know, like, don't open that door. Don't go into the cellar by yourself. Don't split up. Don't trip when you're running away from the serial killer and then just fumble around on the ground. But there's, there's more to it, too. But there's a lot of morals. I don't, co- more, I don't know. <laughs> well... Well, uh, I guess you'd call them lessons in some way. It's because, uh, like, there are some horror movies, for instance, that deal with natural phenomena, you know, whether it's um, some kind of natural catastrophe or even Jaws, right, with a a great, you know, giant shark. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between what you'd classify as horror or thrillers or something like that and, like, a nature documentary that might be equally horrible in some ways, but it's not scary, right? It's not scary in the same way. No. It seems to be that the scary things have to do with some kind of, some kind of threat, almost like a predatory threat that is part of the, like the realm of the unknown and the, the not just, and not just the unknown, but the, like it's the unknown that creeps into your life and then confronts you with a a potentially life destroying element right yes. so so whether that's in the the thriller and horror movies dealing with like the rampaging killer or the 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 methodical serial killer or the kind of paranormal aspects of this this uh para, this supernatural threat something that that's really um even further outside of the bounds of normality that intrudes upon your life and you don't know what it is it's part of the unknown and it's in at least in these movies and in some like real life experiences as we'll see it uh it is a a menace so there's there's that ele- that that element of predatoriness and of the unknown because once you know what it is, that kind of deflates the the threat of it. Like, imagine having this... Well, this has happened a lot, I'm sure, in, in people's lives where something threatening happens. It's like you think your house might be haunted, for instance, because you're hearing these noises, and then you realize, you know, there's some animal on the other side of your wall that's just, you know, knocking on it or scratching at it. It's like, oh, well, you know, why was I scared of that? It's It's not scary anymore once you know what it is but it still would be scary if you found out what it was and it was something totally out of the ordinary 
right? So that there's that out of the ordinariness that continues to be scary, even when you do know about it. Yes, because um, as you were saying, Harrison, I mean, the, the, the fear of the, um, those things that are outside of the realm of normal uh, day-to-day living in reality, um, once you, once you do come to understand that those things that are, um, around us and exist in our world, uh, that we may get inklings of in books or movies or, or, uh, tales told by people, you know, who had experienced certain things, um, we realize or are reminded of the fact that there are things that are horrifying that exist in this world. Uh, and that even once you do come to know or have knowledge of them, uh, in some instances, at least for me, they become even more horrifying <laughs> because then the question becomes, you know, how, how might I uh, deal with such a horror if, if I had to confront it or, or be in the experience of knowing it directly as opposed to second or third hand? Um, so, uh, yeah, today we wanted to talk a little bit about, um, our first, second and third hand experiences of those things that are, that we find horrific, uh, that scare the crap out of us. In a, in a click worthy top five scariest things format, right? Yes, because (laughs) we want your clicks <laughs> we but. want your smash likes we want your no what are they called what's that button the, called the hit smash like the button. hit smash we want your hit smashes <laughs> we want your hit smashes on those buttons yeah but the the other point to this in addition to um gaining your hit smashes certainly is to uh get to the nitty-gritty here on uh this most intrinsic human experience that we have, certainly, as much as uh, we can do here at Mind Matters. And um, like you were saying, Corey, uh, you know, why do we, why do we seek out um, the, these films and, and books that, are, that we know or that are designed to scare us? Why subject ourselves to these tortures? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I'd say like at least one element is uh, because probably for most of our time on Earth, life has been pretty, you know, terrifying. It's kind of it's probably in our genes to be terrified at, you know, just the sheer immense potential for absolute catastrophe and doom. Whether it's like a you know a tribe, a neighboring tribe coming and slaughtering you know, your village or it's you know, something like an authoritarian government or, you know, the soup, the spooky stuff that still, that still exists out there. And you're just, you know, you're just like the unexplained kind of things that just pop in and out of the world. Like it's just this big haunted globe that, uh, you know, that we live on and that, you know, it's, I guess in horror kind of helps you to wrap your mind around it. It helps you to kind of, you know, incorporate it into your you know, conscious, you know, psyche, I guess, for mm-hmm. lack of a better. Yeah, because if, if horror and the things, that, the things that scare are in that realm of, like, that boundary between and beyond, like, the known and the unknown, if that's where these things reside, then I guess in a sense, the, like, the more you expose yourself to 
those things like in manageable doses perhaps maybe the the more you the more you uh, the more resistance you get the more kind of like immunized you get to that sort of thing because i mean i think back to all the things that used to scare me as a child and the the natural progression from that is that well most of those things pro- probably all of them don't scare me anymore you know like being afraid of the dark as a kid um you know that's not really a a thing for me anymore and even the some of the movies and and things that terrified me as a kid i can watch them now and and just kind of chuckle because they're not scary anymore like uh maybe we can talk about some childhood experiences first but i'd like to and i was saving this question for you guys for later on in the show um but i I think i want to ask you now because you just said that harrison you just said that um you know, having having these doses of of horror uh, in our in our lives through this exposure to films and other things can be a, a type of immunization in the way that it creates awareness of certain things. Certainly, but uh, in my observation of of reading and watching certain things, you know how you have that kind of tingling in the back of your neck and goose flesh, and and you become extra kind of sensitized. Uh, to certain horrific things, which could be your imagination running off with you, or it could be, I'm wondering, a, a true sensi- sensitization. I'm not pronouncing that word correctly, but but you get what, where I'm well, going with this? Give an example. Like, Do you mean like, because the first thing that came to mind is like after watching a, a really scary movie, then being kind of hyper aware of the things going on and wondering if every little creak and groan in the house is something scary like what do you what situation are you talking about well in particular and and maybe now would be a good time to launch into uh personal childhood experience um i was thinking of uh my my feelings and after reading this book okay which is a kind of a, a a bio of ed and lorraine warren who were um a couple of investigators, paranormal investigators. Um, the, the Conjuring movies are, are based on their experiences. For everyone just listening, the book is The Demonologist. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Demonologist by Gerald Brittle. And um, during and after reading it, I would just have to stop at some points, you know, get out of my bed and and get my bearings and um, and felt, you know... Again, it could be imagination, but you know, I would. I felt like I was more. Uh, I don't want to say vulnerable, but um, certainly, uh, I don't know if it's just heightened awareness or, or if it feels like. My question is, you know, does a does your when your mind goes in the, in these directions, does it create? Um, does it have a way of drawing them in? When you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. Maybe. <laughs> that, that's actually good. <laughs> that's actually very apt, I think, because in a way, you know, it's like, okay, you're aware of us. We're aware of you now being aware of us. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that makes a certain amount of sense, Corey. Thank you for that, uh, that, that very quick kind of, you know. Yeah, okay, next topic. No. Yeah. <laughs> next. Next caller. Well, well maybe you going to say something? No. Maybe we'll get into that as we go on because I think that's a that's a tough question. Um, 
I'd say like in some in certain cases no, in other cases perhaps yes. You know, so I'll I'll be I'll be more wishy washy about it. Well, in the cases with no, it's like um, with the example of like true crime and reading about things like psychopathy and the the kind of malevolent people that you probably will come into contact with if you haven't already in your life. The more you know about it. I'd say the better chances you are you have of dealing with it and perhaps avoiding certain situations. Um, if you recognize the signs early, you can get out of a situation that, without that knowledge, you would just run headlong into, to the point where you probably can't extricate yourself from it. So I think in certain cases like that, there is a there is a protective element to exposing yourself to things of this sort. Whereas perhaps with others, and now this might come down to the your motivations and the the intentions you have looking at these sorts of things because i think that people a lot of people can kind of get a almost a type of fetish for for the the sick and twisted mm-hmm. um not um well i think there's probably a a scale of reactions from the people that just avoid it completely because they don't want that kind of stuff in their in their mind they don't even want to think about it to those who are kind of intrigued intrigued by it and um like that's i think that's why a lot of people watch um like true crime documentaries and tv shows and things like that or or just horror movies but then you get the people who are kind of obsessed with that kind of thing and then on top of that you get the people that um, well, how to put it? Well, like the serial killers themselves, who actually really enjoy that kind of thing. And maybe in that one end of the spectrum, there's there's an element of the more the more you expose yourself to this, the more you embrace it and open yourself up to it. And I'm thinking about, for example, like people who get into um, like black magic and and uh weird kind of rituals and and things like that like what's his name the 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 jpl guy um who was into doing all kinds of weird rituals in the desert to to alan parsons yeah yeah something like jack jack parsons jack parsons yeah. yeah Well, Alan Parsons, wasn't he the musician? Alan Parsons yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Aleister Crowley and, and stuff like that, where there is, there's this element of really kind of wanting to invite that stuff into your life. Right. As opposed to, to reading about it, having like a visceral reaction to it, and the way that you'd study something like a poisonous snake before going on a, or a variety of poisonous snakes before going on a hike. Um, like maybe there are some people that would, well, the analogy would be studying those snakes because you identify with them and, you know, maybe want to try out the the venom on yourself or, or do some kind of weird thing with, uh, with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So th- I think there's a whole spectrum of reactions and intentions behind that sort of thing. Like, I think I knew a few people who were really into horror movies, you know, as a, as a kid, as a teenager, who really enjoyed watching the most horrendous things possible. 
like what what you'd probably call torture porn these days like the the worse the better if you <laughs> which is kind of a, a weird thing but i think there's an element of that and for me personally i'm i mean i don't i've never liked that kind of horror movie for instance like i want the stuff that i somewhat enjoy watching are just the the things that are more scary or creepy not necessarily the stuff that just is there to gross you out mm-hmm. so but then that creepiness that's i think the creepy the creepy bits are are the bits that even then that a lot of people are attracted to for perhaps strange and unknowable reasons that's that's part of the creepiness of the whole subject matter is that is that there are individuals for whom these things are enticing in in a way that most people couldn't understand this goes back to our discussion of like israel keys when we were talking about serial killers and how you take a book like mind hunter or what was the other one that he read dark dreams or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. where most people who read those books are reading them for educational purposes or for professional purposes if you're actually getting into law enforcement or um, like profiling or something like that. For Israel Keys, it was more like... Your education. <laughs> a, a, a reflection in the mirror. It's, here's, here are these people like me. Oh, that explains the way I am. And, oh, I can learn from this on how to be a better serial killer. So, well, yeah, that was, that's one interesting thing. I was listening to an interview with, I think his name's, is it Dean Ruskin? Dean Ruskin? He was the original Mindhunter. And he was, the, they based the series off of him. He was the guy who went and developed the, you know, the whole behavioral unit for the FBI. I can't remember what his name was, but he said that the serial killers really enjoyed talking to him because he, and, and when he got really good, he could tell them why they were the way they were and he was like you know the only you know normal person who could who knew them better than they did you know which is you know i think one reason why people like israel keys will read that so they get you know some insight and then also they get an idea of what you know the everyone else is thinking and how to you know be five steps ahead of them Mm. well maybe we can get back to that let's Get on to our number five. <laughs> we'll det- we're not quite sure what number five will be yet. It's an exploratory mm-hmm. process, but maybe we can start with the with some of the childhood things that scared us. Mm-hmm. I'll just give some examples. This will maybe lead into the real scary stuff. But um, I remember when I was a kid, the, there were three, probably three things that scared me the most as a uh, as a young kid into probably probably early teens, um, the first one I can remember is uh, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. Not a scary movie, but at the end, when Indiana Jones gets to the, the, the chalice, like the Holy Grail, there's that knight there that's guarding it, right? And the, and the, the baddie, the bad guy, chooses poorly. <laughs> He grabs the wrong chalice and he drinks from it, and then he starts disintegrating. Like, uh, and so here's the image that haunted me as a child. For I remember watching this movie. I, well, I loved the movie, so I'd watch it over and over again. But 
at, at that certain age, until I got a bit older, I'd always run out of the room for that scene because it terrified me so much. So I'd, I'd run out of the room and I'd kind of peek around the doorway to, to watch when it was over. And, but I never got nightmares about it. It was just something I didn't like looking at. I think it was just too gross. The thing that gave me nightmares was Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Not the ghosts, but the, the terror dogs in the first film. So there are those like gargoyles, right? Those dogs that come to life and they're these scaly beasts. Um, I think we've got a picture of those, that, right? Yeah, it's up. So <laughs> I had nightmares about these dogs for, I can't remember for sure, but it must have been maybe up to two years, maybe longer. It was a recurring nightmare that I had as a kid where, and I can, I can still picture it visually. So this is a, a nightmare that I probably had more than 20 years ago, like 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I can still vividly remember at least one of those dreams. I think they've all kind of, um, I've forgotten most of the variations, but I still remember the one. And usually it was these dogs, these giant um, slavering beasts and chasing me. And then from that point, like it was a pretty common dream, the feeling of being chased. And then, you know, when you're trying to run and your, your body just won't move very fast. So you're, you're moving at less than walking speed and you're trying to run and you look behind and the dog's gaining on you. And I had that dream just repeatedly for, for years. And I, I think I only saw the movie like twice, but it just, it stuck with me forever. And now I watched that movie again just a couple of years ago. And well, I think it's hilarious. It's and funny and just a great movie. Of course, not very scary, but, um, but the, so again, the second thing that for whatever reason was just really scary and then stuck with me for, for years afterwards. Well, I, I would just posit that, um, like, you you trace back the chase dream to the devil dogs and, and Ghostbusters, um, and I've had chase dreams too, mm -hmm. where that felt like they went on for hours, that they were relentless, that uh, I was being attacked and pursued by something, and. Um, I've had a few of them. I had one in particular that felt like it, it went on. I mean, it's visceral. It's almost as though it, it, you don't have that distance you might otherwise experience in a dream where things just happen. You're an active participant in running away from this thing. So, um, and I've, I've heard about other folks having dreams of, that they felt like they were mm -hmm. attacked. And, and so I think it's... Um, there's something maybe kind of archetypical about that that devil dog, yeah, uh, in Ghostbusters that triggered something, or that you that you assigned to that imagery in Ghostbusters, but that really was part of another something in your in your psyche in your um, in your experience. Yeah, well, it's a pretty good representation of just the ultimate hunting predator, mm -hmm. because it's not just it's not. It's not a canine companion. It is a an exaggerated, almost demonic dragon. Like I'm, I'm thinking of the the Chinese like cat dragons, or I'm not. I'm not even sure of that. With just Chinese lions, for instance, like that you'll see in Chinatown, or um, these giant dog-like creatures, dog-like cat-like creatures, um, but in a in this demonic form that are hunting and and 
preying on on well hunt, hunting its prey is just essentially and that of course is a, a universal for for humans just being the the weak um vulnerable creatures that we are in an environment that is just full of predators um yeah it makes sense that for whatever reason my child psyche latched onto that image as the one to to represent that whole class of of beings it's like the what does jordan peterson well he he quotes some researcher it's the the dragon snake or the the snake lion something oh, tree yeah. it's like all of the all of the all of the super predators all combined into one that uh, that we've that humanity has faced for hundreds of thousands of years um yeah but then the the one more from my childhood that was the scariest i watched x files like my whole family would watch it every week and i remember I can't remember what year it came out, but this was in season four, I believe. It was the episode Home with the Peacock family. And uh, let's get them up on the screen. So, <laughs> warning. <laughs> so this was the scariest episode of The X-Files that probably there ever was. And while I don't think I had nightmares from it, it was another one of those experiences that just stuck with me. And I'm pretty sure I did watch this one um, again older maybe in the past few years and it was pretty frightening even watching it now did you guys ever watch that watch the x-files did you remember do you remember this one it's the one where uh Mulder and scully get called out to this this house basically where something happened they're trying to investigate and there's this family that lives there that are just uh well they're monstrous because all of the children are the and probably the parents too they're all products of incest and the house takes place mostly at night, and they keep the mother on this like trolley underneath the the underneath the bed, and they've got booby traps all set up, and it's it's just it, it is a horror episode really. And after they aired that episode, Fox told the producers that the Peacock family cannot appear on air again. It's like that. Big, okay, you had the one. <laughs> we we regret letting you guys do this, so you're not doing it anymore. And it's understandable because I think I think my whole family was freaked out by that episode, and that I think is one that that uh, like I said, it's even scary today after watching it. Then I can't say that I can't say that about many things that scared me as a kid. But I mean, what about you guys? Did you ever did uh, was there anything that you saw or experienced as a kid that still scares you today? Yes. <laughs> well. Uh, to to perhaps a lesser degree than it did when I was a kid. But when I was about eight years old, uh, a friend of mine um, had told me about this movie he had gone to see with his family called The Amityville Horror. So he was describing, you know, what had happened, and this was a haunted house, and it's a true story. And uh, the, the father was um, being driven to kill the family and um this was uh based on a um a story that uh was about a real place in amityville a real house that um that was only a few hours from where i lived and uh, the movie was based on a very successful book and uh, this was in the mid to late 70s and um it i didn't even see the movie and just the the ideas <laughs> that <laughs> 
that he was conveying to me about this scared the crap out of me. So for months I was wrestling with all, all these, you know, these things that really happened at, at the house in Amityville. And, uh, and finally I told my parents, you know, I was, I was really scared. And they, they told me that it was in fact uh, a proved hoax. The whole thing was a hoax. There were articles in the New York times about, you know, the idea that nothing really ever happened there. Um, and they were very upset that I was, that I'd been upset by this stupid friend who had told me about this movie that scared the crap out of me that I'd never even seen. <laughs> so, um, and I, and after that, I, I never really followed up on the story of the Amityville horror. I, I'd, uh, maybe I saw the movie, um, at some point I never read the book and, uh, just a few years ago, as I mentioned a little earlier, I um, I had read this book called *The Demonologist* um, about the lives of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and um, they, uh, for those of of you who've never heard of them or who haven't seen the film, uh, these people were the real thing. They would they would go places where they were requested to investigate hauntings and poltergeists and really, um, really kind of scary occurrences. Um, but what they would also do is go to universities and churches and community centers and, and they would educate people. They would share their experiences, uh, sometimes with photos and recordings and they would um, give people to understand that uh, that the types of events that they had experience with were in fact real, even if they were sensationalized um, quite often, and that there there were things in fact to be afraid of. Anyway, so I'm reading this book, and very early on in it, um, I'm just going to read a little bit from it because uh, it, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book. And, um, and it addresses the goings-on in, in the Amityville house. So, um, Ed Warren's office is located in a small cottage-sized building attached to the main house by a long enclosed passageway. As Ed sat working on preliminary details of the Amityville case, that fateful February morning... The latch at the end of the passageway snapped open, followed by the percussive boom of the heavy wooden door. Footsteps then started towards the office. Ed leaned back in his chair, waiting for Lorraine, his wife, to enter with a much-needed cup of coffee. In here, Ed called out. Long moments passed, however, and she did not appear. Lorraine, Ed called out again, but there was no reply. When he heard instead, building in, this, in the distance, was an eerie howling wind. It was not the whistling of wind under the eaves, but rather the menacing roar of a distant cyclone. Goose flesh rose on his arms. Lorraine, he asked forcefully, are you there? But still there was no response. As the ominous swirling sound built in power and intensity, Ed quickly thought back over the last few moments. 
It then occurred to him that he'd heard only three footsteps in the passageway, not the continuous tread of a person walking. Something was wrong. Suddenly, the desk lamp dimmed to the strength of a candle flame. Then, abruptly, the temperature in the office plunged to that of a walk-in freezer. A rank, pungent smell of sulfur rose in the room. Suspicious of the unnatural clamor, Ed Warren opened a desk drawer and withdrew a vial of holy water and a large wooden crucifix. He then got up and walked a few steps out of his office into the anteroom. As he did, there swirled out of the passageway a horrendous conical whirlwind. Pointed at the bottom, broad at the top, the thing was blacker than the natural blackness of the night. Far larger than a man, the swirling black mass moved into the dimly lit room and drifted slowly to Ed's left side and came to a halt some ten feet away. As Ed watched, it appeared to grow even denser and blacker than it was before. Indeed, within the swirl, he could see that something was beginning to take shape. An entity was beginning to manifest in physical form. As a demonologist, Ed Warren knew he had to act quickly to take the initiative before this fearsome black mass transferred itself into something even more forbidding and dangerous. Holding the cross toward what now was rapidly changing into a macabre hooded specter, Ed Warren stepped forward. The moment he did, however, the entity moved defiantly toward him. Ed stopped and stood his ground in the, as the form slowly drifted forward. When the swirling black mass was no more than a few feet away, Ed methodically, and with absolute determination, showered the thing in the sign of the cross with the contents of the holy water vial. Then he spoke the ancient command, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. For eternal seconds, the black mass stayed motionless, no more than a foot away from the cross. Then, slowly, it began to back off though not before giving Ed a clear vision of himself and Lorraine involved in a potentially deadly automobile accident along a highway. With that, the entity withdrew into the passageway from whence it came. An enormous sense of relief came over Ed Warren as he stood, sweating profusely, in the freezing cold room. Yet as he attempted to collect his thoughts, The vicious snarl of fighting animals suddenly erupted outside the house. Immediately, Ed realized there was no animals fighting. The visitation was still in progress. The entity had simply moved upstairs to attack Lorraine. Avoiding the passageway, Ed flung open the door to the office and ran up the back steps of the house. He would be too late. Upstairs, Lorraine Warren sat in bed reading the biography of Pedro Pio a remarkable Capuchin punk, monk, who many believe is is destined for sainthood. In any case, uh, the story goes on about this attack that that the two of them received at the hands of this entity. And um, if you've heard interviews with them and, uh, and, you know, if you read the rest of the book, there's so much about that uh, event that, that feels grounded um, in, in a type of reality um, that is just 
frightening to the core. And, and after reading it, you know, I had one of these moments where I had to, to get up and take a breath and, and really compose myself because uh, something that like, they get into in the book is, you know, they, they make the distinction between um, evil, you know, human entities and evil non-human entities. And, and they account for many of the experiences that they've had with what they would call non-human entities that are, that are extremely powerful and that knew of them and that wanted to scare them enough and hurt them enough to prevent them from doing investigating uh, into what they were doing. And in this case, he was reviewing some notes about what had occurred in this house in Amityville. So um, it really kind of drove home for me uh, something that Lorraine Warren says later on in the book, which is that the events as depicted in the movie, The Amityville Horror, uh, and in the book were actually much less than what had actually occurred there. That things were far, far more hellacious for the people, the Lutz family that moved out of there after a certain period of time. Um, you know, they were only there a short while. They had bought the house only a year or two after uh, the previous owner killed his family in the house. Mm. So there was something very uh, dark about that. And it, you know, it was a, it was a very strange reminder of, of this fear I had as a kid. Well, I think that we can say on our list, number five, scariest thing ever goes to the idea of the Amityville horror. Because <laughs> that was a great story. <laughs> I, I just wanted to point out for, like one of the things I was thinking about while listening to that is your parents' remark and the newspaper articles talking about it and all of the debunking that regularly goes on about paranormal things. Um, my kind of one-liner response to that sort of response is I think that a lot of it's basically what adults tell themselves not to be afraid. And mm -hmm. it's a very strong, it's a very strong, I, th I think, motivator for, for stupid adults, basically, <laughs> to think they, they understand the world and think there's nothing scary about the world. Because I think deep down they're just as scared, or they would be just as scared as they were when they were kids if they were to accept that maybe they, they're are a lot of weird and scary things that happen and that we don't really have a grasp of the totality of reality and the scary things that actually go on in it. So I think that's one of the reasons that might also be one of the reasons why people gravitate to ghost stories and, and horror movies and things like that is because I think there is a reality to all of this stuff. Even if we don't understand it in all its details, um, I think I think it's very arrogant and stupid for for us to just deny it and to just think that reality is this mundane thing. Of course, there even within that mundane reality, there are terrifying things that happen and that go on and that are out there. Even just within, you know, you you look at the the monsters that are in human form but 
there are things that are way scarier than that too. And maybe that will that will lead into the kind of next category that I was thinking of. <clears throat> One of the other things that that really scared me when I first encountered it, um, a book, a nonfiction book written by John Keel. This is well, two two nonfiction books. One by John Keel. That was the Mothman Prophecies, and the second was a book by Bud Hopkins called Intruders. And this was, so the Intruders book was this book on um, alien abductions written in, I think, maybe late 80s or mid-80s. I think it might, might have been 87, I can't remember. And then Mothman Prophecies was John Keel's story about, oh, probably, probably most people have heard about Mothman because they made it into a movie in like late 90s, I think, with Richard Gere. Mm-hmm. I didn't find the movie very scary, but the book I found terrifying when I first read it. Again, I reread it in the last few years, last five years, maybe, and I just find it, found it really interesting, not really scary at all. But there, that book, if you want to, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of weird paranormal things, um, it's got pretty much all of them. And I've read a lot of John Keel, and well, first of all, he's a great writer. He's really funny, and despite a lot of people who think he's just a hoaxer. I've read enough by him, about him, and kind of behind-the-scenes correspondence to know that he was actually a, a very serious guy, despite his um, kind of gonzo personality and the, the way that he would write and the kind of image, image of himself that he projected. He was, he was a serious researcher, and he, was, um, he, he, he had this motivation to get to the bottom of things. And that, maybe that's one of those examples of the abyss staring back because he wanted to get to the bottom of all this stuff and in the process encountered all of it. <laughs> and, and it resulted in some, just some, well, first, some very odd situations. Second, some very unnerving situations. And then third, just some completely mind-boggling, unexplainable um, and pretty terrifying situations and just things that happened to him and some that weren't even very scary but that, that were just odd and like weird um kind of like stepping into some kind of bizarro reality and meanwhile he's just still living his everyday mundane existence but intruding in that existence is just all of this weirdness all of this this new strange reality so i think uh, well and then the second book was Bud Hopkins' Intruders. <laughs> I've, I've heard this from a lot of people. Because um, I, was, I was reading a lot of, well, not a lot, but I started reading some stuff about um, you know, UFOs and alien abductions and stuff when I was a teenager. And I'd tell my friends about it at the time. <laughs> and I just remember telling them, and it, uh, telling them stories and about this, this stuff in these books and the looks on their faces. It was as if... I were, I were telling them ghost stories around a campfire, like the eyes got wide and they, and, um, I remember one of my friends even telling me that how scared he was. He's like, Oh man, if that stuff's real, that's, that's so terrifying. I was like, yeah, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it's really scary. And again, if you look at the whole alien abduction narrative, the, the storyline, it is pretty terrifying. You're, the, the message to take away from any of those books is you're not safe anywhere and you have no control over over your life there are there are these beings that can 
insert themselves into your life at any given moment and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And uh, not only will the experience potentially be very frightening, um, but you might have like PTSD for the rest of your life or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so around this time, or no, probably before, before that, I watched the movie Fire in the Sky, which was the dramatization of the infamous Travis Walton experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think that happened in the 70s. If I'm not, I can't remember which year. Uh, just a famous abduction experience. And I watched that movie alone in my basement um, at night. And it, do you have a... Yeah, I think we've got a, a screenshot yeah, from... Okay. Yeah, we'll show the... Oh, I think there's another one with the alien in it. But there's a scene... Yeah. <laughs> it's really a bad movie. But um, but it was terrifying at the time. Again, I watched it several years ago and it was I realized what a bad movie it was and how it wasn't scary at all. But as a kid, I had, at this point, I hadn't read anything about alien abductions. I don't even know why I wanted to see this movie because I didn't know anything about it. But like X-Files just terrified me like mm -hmm. i i don't think i had nightmares but i was terrified for well there are some scary scenes in that movie yeah like when he well the, the, like the thing i didn't like about it watching it the second time is he gets taken to this ufo craft or something you're not even it's not even clear where he is it, it almost looks like he's on a different planet like underground it's all uh dirty and everything's um there's like layers of dust and grime on everything and he, they're doing these medical procedures on him and he, he wakes up in this kind of organic kind of cocoon-like thing and it's all really creepy. I didn't like it because... I didn't, I didn't like it later because it, it didn't... I don't think any, any of that was in the actual account. Like they just added that in for dramatic purposes. Mm -hmm. but, um, but it was kind of gross and creepy. And... And I, th I, and that's been the experience of pretty much anyone that I talked to who read anything about this or who watched like X Files or watched this movie. Th on first encountering that idea, that thing like alien abduction, it's always terrifying. And a lot of people then say they have nightmares about being abducted by aliens after that, and never happened to me, but. Um, but again, it's this, it's this almost universal like fear that that's associated with that topic. Um, I know a lot of people that, of course, just write off the whole thing as some kind of hallucination or just hoax, which it definitely isn't. Well, th there might be a huge element of hallucination or kind of um, of hallucination in it, but I don't think that accounts for for it all. And it's definitely not just hoaxes. There are thousands of people like this all over the planet who, you know, who have had experiences like this, and there are psychiatrists and psychologists who at least take it seriously to, um, to find out at least what can be done to, um, to help these people because they they have had these traumatic experiences, whatever the real nature of them is. Um, but there's this almost universal reaction to, to the idea, mm -hmm. that is very fascinating. And so there's this, uh, we can add that to like the category of really scary things. Like there are these human predators, like serial killers and uh, raving madmen, like you find in all the horror movies, which is scary. There's the natural predators that are scary, like Jaws. 
there are these supernatural demons that are scary. <laughs> and then there are these like aliens that, that for whatever reason are scary. I mean, why, why are they scary? Because science fiction has been around for hundreds of years. And even just before that, um, kind of mythological, fantastical worlds and these kind of otherworldly beings, like the Greek gods or whatever, the gods from any culture. If you look at just science fiction, though, I mean, you watch Star Wars or not, well, Star Wars and Star Trek, and there's all these aliens, right? And they're not particularly scary. It's just here are a bunch of these other species that look kind of funky and they're aliens. But something about the alien in, po in modern like pop culture is frightening for some reason. And I don't really know why that is. Why, why would aliens, the aliens in the, in the kind of X-Files um, shape and form, mm -hmm. why should that be scary and like Jabba the Hutt shouldn't? Um, what is it about that, that that's actually frightening? I think, I think part of it is that um, that intrusiveness of the the phenomenon, as described by all of these people that have these experiences, mm -hmm. it's the it's the having com no power over your over your life and being just seemingly at the whim of some being that you do not understand that um, you probably can never understand, and that. Yeah, that just introduces this element of terror, terror and violation into your everyday life. Um, it's something that, yeah, that you can't understand and that you have no control over. It's probably why it's scary. I don't know. Well, with Jabba the Hutt, you have, um, you know, somebody who's like physically there in presence. And I mean, he's just a big blob. Mm -hmm. I mean, like he might be like physically intimidating because he's just so big. Mm -hmm. Um but, I mean, he has definite shape. He has definite form. He acts coherently uh, for a logical purpose. Um, but the popular conception of what we think of as aliens is very foreign to us in that they don't have necessarily definite shape or form. You, listen, you read John Keel's work and, like... <laughs> the gray aliens thing isn't always the case. Like it, it changes mm -hmm. depending on the person it changes. So they don't have a definite form and you don't know their intentions right. because you might think that it's one thing, but then all of a sudden like these, these weird anomalies start, start coming up. Like again with John Keel, he'll be investigating something and he's like, Oh, I have this idea about what's going on. And then all of a sudden he gets phone calls saying like, yes, that's the thing that's going on or whatever it is. And then he's like, well, that's, that's weird. Like, how does anyone know what's going on in my head right now? Mm -hmm. And so that throws out like time, uh, into this weird foreign conception that, like you say, is just so foreign that we have no way of, of containing it within our minds. Mm -hmm. And so that, that terrifies us because if we can't get a hold on it in our, in our own minds, then we're right. completely at the whims of. Well, I kind of, I guess I have an experience that kind of falls into that, into that realm. And it's, I mean, you just, you know, take it with a grain of salt cause I was young, 16 at the time, but it was, um, I remember, gosh, this, I remember it like it was yesterday. 
because uh, I was 16, my parents had been divorced for a while and we had a small, like a family business and I was like in charge of the shop when my dad had a boat like an hour and a half away on a, on a lake and he was out for, uh, for the weekend. And so I had the shop for the weekend and that, that meant I had complete 16 year old freedom, you know, to do whatever I wanted. And so it was like a little paradise, you know, <clears throat> so I could, uh, I went to hang out with my friends for the evening and, you know, before I left, you know, I didn't, I hadn't even gone to, you know, to the house yet, but I assumed, you know, everything was just quiet and tranquil at the house. And I got back, it must've been around 11, you know, PM or midnight and all of the lights were on in the house. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? This is strange. And I walk into the house and the TV is on and every radio in the house is on. And they're all playing these different, like, you know, like different sounds and everything. So I was like, well, geez, like, was there some, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, there must've been like a power outage. And then when the power came back on, everything else came back on or something. So, um, and we had a dog outside and she was pretty, you know, she was pretty chill. So I didn't, I wasn't too worried about what was going on. So I went inside and, you know, I turn off everything and I'm just kind of relaxing. I sit down and I sit down in front of this, this window. There's a couch in front of an open window, uh, cracked so that, you know, fresh air comes into the house and I sit down and I'm just sitting there and it sounds like the wind, right? At first it's the wind, but then all of a sudden, the wind started to speak like there was like this very like audible, like foreign language that I'm hearing. And I'm like, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and I, and then I like kind of snap out of it. And then I heard what sounded like footsteps on the side of the house, two stories up <laughs> footsteps along the side of the house. And then on the roof, and I was like, oh, my. I was like, well, guess it's time for bed. I, I'm out. So, so then I'm, I'm getting up, and I'm like, you know, this clearly it's like this strange, ominous thing is going on, and there's footsteps. And I'm like, all right, so uh, what do I do now? Um, I guess I was like, well... I could pretend like everything is normal or I could get the heck out of here and just blaze down the highway as fast as I can. So I run out the side door and on the side door, there's this big porch and the porch wasn't finished. So there was a big gap underneath it. And I run out there and I, my car is on, it's, you know, the down these steps from the porch to the lane to my car. And between me and my car is my dog and this big gap underneath the porch. And my dog is just staring into the gap under the porch, growling, just like just a gnarly, gnarly growl. And I'm like, look. <laughs> and so then I just step back and then I just took, I just take a run for it and leap the distance <laughs> onto, the, onto the lawn. And then I run to my car, get in and then drive off. And then come back a few hours later and everything is fine. I mean, never had any other sort of strange experience like that again. So you just, it's one of those things, like you said, there's no physicality to it. There was no like evidence of anything that had actually been, you know, walking around on the roof. There wasn't damaged tiles. There wasn't, you know, damaged, you know, on the roof. I was, so like I said, you just take it for, with a grain of salt. But yeah, that's just that dimension of, human life that's just so just weird do you remember if uh, all the lights and appliances were on when you got back there 
later. No, uh, they were. I think everything was off. Everything's back to normal. I think I waited a day though to come back. <laughs> but then I, I, I was like, oh, that was the thing. When I left, I realized I left the furnace on. So I was like, oh no, <laughs> you know this. Um, it was a, it was a stove like a propane fueled stove or something like that gas. And I was like, well, the house is going to burn down. I got to go back and get it. <laughs> I had to go back and turn it off, but everything was fine. Wow. Corey. That's just a weird experience. That's, that is, um, that's pretty crazy. And, uh, it reminds me of, a an experience I've had when I was in my early twenties. Um, that was, uh, weird in probably a different way, uh, but really horrifying. Um, me and my family had just moved into a new apartment. Um, and, uh, one night, a couple of weeks, uh, into this, uh, living there, I was, um, you know, just as you're about to fall asleep and you're in that kind of middle zone, I'm in bed and, and, um, and I hear, you know, the, the, the wall is right next to me, uh, and I'm lying down. And just beyond the wall, I hear this. Like that. Ongoing. So I, you know, I, I spring awake because I, you know, I'm, I'm like, what is that? And, uh, and it went on and on. You know, static and dog. And it was like, like that. So I'm, I'm petrified because what it, it greatly reminded me of, and in addition to just being awoken by this really loud, screaming female voice, mm-hmm. just, just here, you know, just like right next to me, just beyond the wall. I have, you know, I'm like wondering, you know, what is that? I, I can't see it. I, I'm only hearing it. And, and it's, it's, it's like incredibly loud and disturbing and horrible, swearing. So my mind went to uh, the granddaddy of all horror films in my mind, which which kept me a, awake for uh, many a night, The Exorcist. Um, and uh, if we have a picture of possessed Regan on, it's just a reminder of this uh, truly uh, almost traumatic movie that mm-hmm. came out, I think in 72 or 73, uh, William Friedkin's uh, movie based on the book by uh, William or Peter Blatty about a uh, a young uh, possessed woman, uh, actually a, a young girl. Um, truly one of the most frightening um, experiences to be had in a movie ever. Um, and and something that this was a direct kind of this experience of the, the this this crazy screaming was a, a direct kind of recalling of, and uh, I later found out that we in fact had a neighbor who was uh, mentally quite sick, mm. um, schizophrenic, violently schizophrenic, and uh, unfortunately I had to endure this type of thing for years. Uh, because we, it was a, a legal wrangle. She wasn't legally permitted to, to live there, but her mother lived there and would let her back in all the time. And where she chose to have her outbursts was in the bathroom just right next to my bedroom wall. 
Oh, so, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was tough. Um, but Well, that's uh, another, that is another terrifying thing, though, isn't it? Mental illness. That thing is, that is terrifying. Yes. And, and you know, raises the question in my mind now that I think about it of whether or not there was an element of possession in, involved there uh, or not. Mental illness can be quite damaging as, enough as it is. Um, so I don't know, but, um, I think a good question with that is to ask whether or not, um, something like that can be, um, like, are you possessed by an archetype? Let's say, are, are you being a channel for, uh, some, some strange archetypal evil of, of a sort with mental illness? I mean, Joker style, mm -hmm. um, or, or is it an actual, like, conscious entity that's like, I'm going to be with everybody? Well, I mean, that, that raises a question in my mind. If, you know, if such archetypes exist and, and manifest themselves in, in people who are mentally ill, it's just strange to me because, you know, aside from the Amityville horror that I mentioned earlier, uh, the exorcist... I think, and this is true of many people. There's been a lot written about it. This is a this is a powerful movie that you really have to, I think, prepare yourself to see. It's not a uh, it's not a it's not sensational in the way that a lot of horror is, uh, precisely because um, a lot of the events in it are are based on real things. Um, so. Uh, I, I do recommend it if you've, if you've never seen it before, but I would just say that one should be prepared because, um, you know, there've been a lot of stories around the, the making of the exorcist and the weird things that have happened. And, uh, and, and there are things that, um, feel or seem to be metaphysically true because it's not only a movie about possession it's a movie about the priests and the mother and and all of the kind of uh wherewithal and inner strength they are required to muster in themselves in order to do this this spiritual battle with with evil on a very big level um and the priest has to see through the lies and and be stalwart uh just like Ed Warren in, in a lot of the experiences that he's had, uh, in supporting exorcisms and, and going places and, and dealing with things. Um, and, uh, there, there's almost a preternatural psychological knowledge that a lot of these demonic entities seem to have about the people that they're doing battle with. It's like they can go right, right into their, minds and hearts and souls and find those things that are most vulnerable uh, uh about them and and attack it's not just this kind of you know it's it's not just scaring the living bejesus out of people and and doing things chaotically willy-nilly there's intelligence involved and um couple that with you know walls splitting and things flying and and feeling physically ill uh and and physically pained by all of this induced evil 
all of this malevolence that gets directed at you in the form of uh, negative energy. I mean, you know, there's a, a reality to this that is, um, well, I think it's good to know about it. Because uh, like you were saying earlier, Harrison, you know, um, after a time, uh, even though I've never confronted anything directly, more directly than, than, t than eventually telling her to shut the hell up, uh, you know, dealing with something like this is on a whole other level. But having some knowledge of it, um, I think, goes some way uh, towards um, strengthening ourselves. Um, and, and being wise enough not to do the types of things to ever invite these things into your environment, into your psyche, uh, because they, they are powerful things that, that seek to control and harm. Um, so that, that might be my, uh, that's, that could go on the top five somewhere. Well, I think me. So, so number four could be, uh, aliens and demons. I think that's a, no, a good number four. Number four. <laughs> Just stay tuned for number one. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get through the top three pretty quick. Well, these are in no particular order, I should just say. Um, just on the subject of the of your um, your scary neighbor, it just reminded me of a, just a, fr a freaky incident I had like that. Again, probably dealing with mental illness. Um, not as, not quite as dramatic, but the image will always stay with me. I was working at a bookstore. This was in my early twenties. And so I was at the counter and we had this guy come in. I think he'd probably been in a few times. So we recognized him and knew there was something off about him. So one of the other employees was, um, in the back of the store just to kind of stay in proximity to him because we weren't sure if he might be stealing or something like that. And so the other employee was just you know, reshelving some books and I was watching. And so I could see both of them. There were some bookshelves in between, but I could see the employee looking, looking at the, the bookshelf that he was working on. And then I could see the guy standing at the other end of the store, staring directly at the employee. And he just had this look on his face, like just this, um, this extremely focused, but blank and, um, kind of empty look on his face. And he was staring and he was, he he was doing these hand movements almost like, like while spells yeah so it looked like he was trying to perform some kind of spells or something and directing them at the back of this other employee's oh head God. and i just i just looked at it for a second and and uh and he didn't see me but he just did it for a few seconds and i was just like what the hell is going on um and then he stopped and you know, left the store eventually and nothing weird happened, but, and well, this was, I'm pretty sure this was around the time when we came into the store one morning and there was a, can't remember exactly what it was. I think it, it was almost, I'm, I think it was a homemade doll kind of, I can't remember what it was made of, but it was left right outside the back door to, to our, to our building, to the, to the store. And it was just this creepy thing. We're like, okay, you know, pick that up, put it in the trash, and then carry it on never with the came day. back, did it? No, it never came okay. back. Thank God. <laughs> okay. But these these two things happen around the same, you know, around the same period of time, and just just creepy experiences that uh, just an, like I can't remember what the doll looked like, but the the image of that guy just staring, like you know, mouth slightly open, doing these 
weird movements with his hand directing them at this other guy was just, uh, I'll always remember that just because I have no idea what was going through this guy's head. Well, you know, just throwing this out there, but there's one story that the Warrens tell of being like in Manhattan and um, Ed Warren being compelled to walk into this alleyway where he sees this, uh, this, this homeless guy who's festering in, in rot, basically. He's living in garbage. He's got boils and, and, and just, just like festering. And, and what happens is this homeless guy speaks to Ed Warren like he knows him and says, we're watching you, <laughs> or words to that effect, which, which suggested this kind of non-local, almost puppet-like power mm. that some beings have over individuals, kind of like in the Matrix, you know, where the, you know, the agents can step in and, and, this, and take over a body um, and it's really the stuff of horror films. And so when you were describing this, this blank staring guy doing this kind of spell, spell binding with his fingers, you know, it's like w- mental illness. Yeah, most probably, maybe, but maybe but something what, else too, but maybe something else too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about, how are we doing on time? This uh, is about an hour 10. <laughs> Okay, let's really quickly. <laughs> Top three. No. Um, uh, well, maybe just really quickly. Let's talk about some uh, some horror movies for the the Halloween. Let's get in some Halloween spirit for for uh, if you maybe want to check out some some films this Halloween season to get scared about. Um, Again, if you don't like scary movies, then don't watch any of these movies because they're scary. What I think there are a couple movies that kind of stick out in my mind, kind of classics that are still have some scare value to them. I've seen I've seen this I've seen The Shining probably a dozen times, and I don't really find it scary anymore. But it is a genuinely creepy movie. Um, I remember being pretty freaked out the first time I saw that. Um, one other old movie that has to get a mention is Silence of the Lambs. Mm. Getting into the kind of more um, thriller genre. So this would be like the the dramatization of what would otherwise be true crime. So serial killers, um, strange, scary villains and murders and that kind of thing. But there's this scene in... Uh, in Silence of the Lambs, this is the one that stuck out for me, and it still freaks me out to this day, is the scene near the end where mm-hmm. Clarice is basically going into the house and and uh, enters a room, and it's pitch black, right? And she's got her gun out. And she doesn't know, but the viewer knows that the guy is in the room with her and has these night vision goggles on. So you see things from his perspective. And uh, go to the other one for a sec. Um, maybe, oh, well, I'll explain this one first. So at one point, he basically reaches out his hand, and he's so so he's right in front of her. He's about to touch her, and she has no idea. And like leading up to that, of course, you see her stumbling around in the dark because um, she they actually filmed this 
in the dark, so it's very realistic. She can't really tell where she's going. She can't see anything. It's pitch dark. And this guy is there watching her. It cuts back and forth between the almost like the the well the green night vision and then just the really dark shadow where you can see the guy's face with his with these night vision goggles on. And of course it leads up to the kind of climactic shooting event. But just that idea, maybe this is kind of, I think, why kids are scared of the dark and some adults, is because you don't know what's out there. <laughs> and this scene was just expertly shot in such a, just, it's such a frightening scenario. To be in the dark, to know that there's someone else with you and not to be able to see them, and on top of that, they can see you. Mm-hmm. And they can then toy with you and uh, sneak up on you, do whatever they want, and you're kind of at their mercy. They might as well, <laughs> well be aliens. Yeah. Um, another movie that plays on that, on a similar kind of theme, is it's a new one uh, that's Midsummer. It's from the producer, director, writer, probably all three of uh, Hereditary. And in this one, it's. The premise, he, he describes it as a breakup movie. So just imagine the worst relationship you've ever had, you know, with no communication, all passive-aggressive, covert-aggressive, you know, no bonding, no, you know, no substance to the relationship, and then amplify that times a thousand. And it's, it's about some grad students who are going to Sweden on this trip there. You know, one is like an anthropologist, I think, another is a psychologist, um, this girl, she has the catastrophe in her family, and so she goes along with her boyfriend on this trip, who is also, I think, an anthropologist, or he's getting his PhD, and he has to write a thesis. He's a kind of a lazy bum, so he has, doesn't know what his thesis is going to be about. And the uh, they go to Sweden to visit this um, ninety once every ninety years. This commune holds this big, big festival, and of course. You know, no one read the Yelp reviews on this commune before they went over there. So there was, uh, you know, they're all basically oblivious and they are completely unaware of the kind of danger they're putting themselves in until it's completely too late. And even then, all of the danger that they're in is plausibly deniable and is denied not just by the commune members themselves, but the most of the people who are there you know most of the grad students they they each of them develop some egotistical reason to just push all of the red flags to the side sweep it all under the rug until the um final breakup (laughs) scene commences but it was uh described by the producer is basically a movie that's either going to disturb you to the core or you're not even going to be really phased by it because it's not a horror. It's not a slasher. It's a psychological, it's a mind bender. It, mm. You really, you get into these characters and you see basically like every moral failing really that you could see and no, you know, sticking, no, st- you know, sticking together and, you know, all of these all of the infighting and you, I mean, it's so realistic, you know, the, it's so well-written um, that you, you see the, you know, the desperation that, you know, this, the, some of the guys have to finish their thesis so they can get their PhD, you know, and they're, so they're willing to just sweep everything under the rug, all this weird stuff. And uh, through just a limited use of violence, it just creates a, this um, aura of, 
uh, this ominous aura combined with, you know, Hansel and Gretel imagery and beautiful music and beautiful scenery. You know, it's it's one of those movies I would highly recommend if you if you are into horror movies in general, um, especially the psychological kind. But then, you know, watch it with somebody else and be prepared <laughs> to take breaks. <laughs> well, it sounds like, uh, you know, it sounds like part of the horror you were describing there is, um, you know, induced through gaslighting where, you know, you're not quite sure of what the reality is or you're pushing it aside or you're subjecting someone else to your version of reality that, that doesn't jive with what's objectively occurring and uh, that w would seem to have something in common with, you know, uh, the alien abduction scenarios that you were describing too, Harrison, you know, where those things just don't happen, you know, anal probes, uh, you know, that's as far as it gets, buddy, you know, but no. Uh, and, um, and I, and getting, getting into the heads of a, of a character who's, who's dealing with the lies or, or not dealing with the lies, but engaging the lies when the reality is, is staring at them, uh, at them in the face where they're unable to acknowledge the danger, uh, put yourself right into the scenario and can be very, um, very jarring. Uh, but along those lines, and, and getting back to some of the earlier questions that were posed at the top of the show, why do we like watching horror or thinking about it? And is there any value to it? Does it give us anything that's, uh, that's beneficial? So... Um, there is an article uh, written by a, a Sigrun Danke Skar from the Inland Norway University of Applied Sciences, same part of the world as that movie. And um, what he says is that it allows us to feel anxious in a safe environment. The first of the three main reasons we like watching horror films is quite elementary. Uh, they entertain us. Um, and then he goes on to say that personality tests reveal that those who are bored easily often score higher than others on a trait called sensation seeking. And that there are several studies that, that those who score high in regard to that trait show an increased liking of horror films. Thus, some people jump off mountains with parachutes while others go to amusement parks to enjoy roller coaster rides. Horror film enthusiasts watch films. Another reason we are drawn to the darkest of film darkness is that the horror film is a way of unraveling evil. And he says, formerly religious explanations of evil are nowadays given a diagnosis. One subjects the evil actions to scientific or psychotherapeutic explanatory models, he says. We are familiar with the diagnosis from, for example, forensic psychiatry, where different psychosis or personality disorders are assessed from a psychological and social perspective. In society as a whole, little or no discussion revolves around evil anymore. We simply do not believe in the demonic as a force in itself, perhaps with the exception of some extremely religious environments. However, in popular culture, and especially in the world of film, Evil is presented as an independent phenomena through the horror genre. 
Evil is reserved for this genre of popular culture because we no longer believe in the compelling explanatory models that the local priest once gave us. Ideas and myths like Frankenstein provide us with, for example, an explanation for human technological arrogance, where the man-made monster turns on its own creator. A third and last reason, which he addresses, is what he calls the anthropological and therapeutic utility of a horror film. It teaches us to deal with our own anxiety. This occurs partly through the familiar frameworks that are found in every proper genre film, including the horror film, and partly through the rituals we build around the viewing experience. We see it in the way teenage boys occasionally use horror films as part of a kind of manhood test, where it's about keeping one's composure as much as possible. In this perspective, the horror film becomes a way to test our personal and collective limits in a safe environment. If it gets too scary, you can just cover your ears, put your hands in front of your eyes, ease attention with an amusing quip, or turn to your popcorn bowl for comfort. In psychology, we call this activation of a feeling emotional regulation. By watching horror films, one can have a sense of control over both the situation or the viewing experience and over the feelings of fear. Watching a scary film may possibly also function as a distraction from other feelings. Uh, and he also goes on to say, the term refers to how every um, psychologist Johnson also notes Sigmund Freud's term, das Anheimlich, the uncanny, as a common theme from, from horror films. The term refers to how everyday situations or objects suddenly seem to be ruled by unknown forces. Frightening. In several films by David Lynch and in the Twin Peaks series, it seems that this principle has been used almost directly. The horror film is one of the oldest film genres. Dating back to the silent film of the previous turn of the century, we have been dreadfully delighted with this particular type of film. So um, basically, you know, what this, what this guy is saying is some of the things that we've been saying here today, um, that it's the, the extraordinary in the realm of the mundane uh, that really gives us a fright. And you were saying earlier, Harrison, how, you know, you had friends of yours who in their, in their teens would watch these films. Um, some, of, some of it really like gore porn, but I think a lot of it, you know, horror, kind of testing the limits of ourselves a little bit. And, and maybe, uh, maybe there's a, a kind of a natural um, leaning towards or intuition that tells us that having, having horror um, in certain amount of doses Mm -hmm. uh is a is a kind of natural reminder of of the world as it really exists um and that we shouldn't um we sure we certainly shouldn't indulge in it uh that can be unhealthy as well um but uh there can be something that is um you know you know we don't grow and we're not healthy unless we're exposed to a certain amount of stress in our lives and uh, the horror genre, when it's done well, and if you're lucky enough to find a film that speaks to certain truths, um, can be a, a kind of a, a, a productive um, 
thing. Yeah, like that description that he gave about using it to kind of um, as a almost as a method of emotional regulation. That actually, that's pretty much been my experience of watching movies like this. Um, I hadn't actually thought about it in those terms, but that description seemed really accurate. Like when I watch, for instance, my probably my favorite horror movie of recent years is Hereditary. And um, but with any kind of movie like that, I'm constantly watching my own reaction to what I'm watching at the same time. So when there's a, a bit of suspense leading up to what might be a jump scare or just a, a situation that you're not sure what direction it's going to, I'm I'm always checking back at, at myself and kind of being slightly amused at the at the fact that I'm having this this funny reaction to what I'm watching. And there is almost a, an element of, okay, well, can I get through this, you know, without, without covering my ears and, and shutting my eyes like I did when I, when I was a kid. And it's, so it's, calm, it's almost kind of like an exercise when I'm watching a movie like this to, to, to see what, uh, what I find scary and what the, what the emotion, what the flavor of that emotion is that it provokes and then afterwards to kind of reflect on it and be and think like, well, why why was that scary? And and how were they how were they doing it? Like what were they doing within the scene to actually make it scary? Kind of like with the Silence of the Lambs thing, there's a there are a few scenes in um in Hereditary where there are these just kind of subliminal tricks that uh Ari Aster is playing on the viewer where you don't necessarily notice them at first. The, there were similar things going on. Well, any great, any good horror movie has these subliminal kind of things to, to get you scared. Like in Shining, the set was deliberately designed to be nonsensical, like uh, hallways leading nowhere, and to kind of um, to unconsciously make you feel as if you're in a maze, like at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And in, um, I think it was the, the show Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. there were some scenes like that where if you notice in certain scenes, there are, there's just a, there's an actor off in the distance behind the camera dressed up as like this ghostly figure that's being reflected in the glass behind this just ordinary scene. And if you, if you don't notice it, you might just be kind of slightly creeped out and you don't know why. And if you actually notice it, it's like, well, that's pretty creepy. What, what is that strange ghostly creature like there? And the, they do the same thing in, in Hereditary where there are a few scenes where there's just this kind of ghostly nude figure standing in the background that you may or may not notice. And uh, eventually that becomes significant, you know, in the later scene. Or there's this one scene that's in the dark and and uh, it's in a bedroom. So again, the the kind of archetypal scary scenario, something bad happening in your bedroom where you're totally vulnerable. But if you look closely in the shadows, there's a character, I won't reveal who, that's basically clinging to the top of the ceiling in the corner. Um, yeah, you can see it circled here. And you don't really notice it, but then in the shadow, it this this uh, character crawls across the ceiling oh. and goes out the door. And um, when, we, when I watched it with some people, some people didn't notice it when it happened. Um, um, I, I guess I was just looking at the right part of the frame when it happened, so I noticed it the first time. But um, noticing it is actually probably scarier than, than not. But the, so, there, so there are tricks that, that can be used um, that 
that are there for a purpose. It's to scare you. Like that's why these people are making these movies partly is to, to, to make it scary. And so maybe next time you watch a horror movie, try to pay attention to try to pay attention to, to all these things at the same time. Like the film itself, your reactions to it, try to gauge your own level of reaction and what the, what kind of your, your limits are. There are some times where, well, not for scary stuff for me, but there, there are times where I feel the urge to close my eyes just because there's something I don't necessarily want to look at. But, um, but also pay attention to what the tricks are. You know, why, how is, how have all the decisions that these actors and, and directors of photography and directors, how, how, how have all their decisions in these scenes come together to scare you? What is it they're doing to, to make you frightened? And, um, and I don't know, that might have, that might, I don't know if it's, if it's helpful in the real world or not, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but I just know that uh, sometimes when it's dark and I see a, a shadowy figure, I still kind of get f- freaked out. Um, and but maybe, but maybe through all the scary movies that I've watched, <laughs> I'm not as freaked out as I would be otherwise. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, since we've run on for long enough. Uh, we should nail down our top three on this list. Maybe, uh, maybe we should split up number four: aliens and demons. They can each get their own category. Mm. So we got uh, five: the idea of Amityville horror, four aliens, three demons, two. Um, maybe we can add serial killers to there, and what? We'll, and then our number one. What, what's uh, maybe we can just end with our each of our favorite. Uh, scary movies. So I just said mine. I think mine's probably well, Shining or for new ones, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? Oh, I'd definitely go in with Midsummer. That's my that's my favorite one that has recently come out. I don't. I used to really like horror movies. Um, I, re, I used to enjoy, enjoy them quite a bit, but I had um, so many nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I. Uh, it's just over time, you know. I just I started fell out of love with them, you know, for whatever reason. And still Aliens has still got to be up there because that bugger has been in my nightmares for... He was in my nightmares for years. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think that whatever I wanted to get out of horror movies, I got out of them. And Midsummer presented something far more intriguing, interesting, psychologically challenging that... Um, that required uh, two viewings to really digest where I, you know, really got the moral out of the story and was able to watch it with, you know, just kind of a, you know, with that sense of like, you're not scared anymore. Now you're like, Oh, okay. So now, now this is why that happened. That's why this happened. And now, you know, you start, like you said, like you start to see how they put all these pieces together. And like you said, Harrison, I think it is, it's good practice for just emotional regulation. You know, I mean, watching a horror movie and, just regulating your emotions. It's really, that's probably bit yeah. one of the biggest reasons why we do watch them, right? It's because bit, it's nice to... Yeah, and it's a bit entertaining at the same time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say that I'm looking forward to seeing Hereditary and Midsummer sometime soon, so I appreciate the recommendations. Yes, we'll watch them. Um, 
but uh, yeah, just getting back to uh, what was mentioned earlier, uh, certainly The Exorcist, which I have no plans on rewatching. Um, and I really uh, enjoyed The Conjuring of a few years ago. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, which was... Um, which did have its element of, of possession and, and poltergeist and really scary things going on, but also um, was an affirmation of, of, uh, of love and, uh, you know, the love of uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren for a family that, um, that they were trying to help and a love of, uh, you know, a family that was trying to together deal with uh, some very, very disturbing events um so it it you know it it had a uh it had a point and um and that point is that uh you know all of this all of this really shocking evil whether it comes in the form of demons or aliens or psychopathic serial killers um should include an a a kind of uh, psychological, uh, or the beginnings of a psychological response in your own mind, in your own being, um, and uh, in order to to help mitigate that situation, should it ever, God forbid, um, enter your experience. And we can't forget horror comedy either, because <laughs> that is my by far my favorite genre of movie. So if you, you want, check out Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, because yes. that's the funniest horror Shaun comedy I've seen. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. <clears throat> yeah, that's yeah. a... Check out Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Evil Dead If you two. haven't seen it. If you want something lighthearted and not as, you know, heavy. <laughs> Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Oh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great stuff. Yeah, but Tucker, Tucker and Dale, Dale ver- yeah. vs. Evil. Yeah. That, I'd recommend that one too. Very funny, and and it's got some genuine scares in there too. Mm-hmm. At the same time, so yeah, I'd recommend that one. <laughs> yeah, thanks for getting that one in there. I forgot about those. Well, if that you got anything else to add, then we will wrap up this week's show, and we hope you have a great Halloween. And I hope it's not too cold wherever you are. Stay warm. You know, hit smash like and subscribe. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. And thank you for tuning in. Until next time. See you guys. Take care, everybody. See you guys.